Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy, back in the chair, joining me, as usual, filling in as the host without me last week, Eric Green. What's going on, man? I missed you, dear. It's good to have you back. Um, snowing. Snowing quite a lot. Walter's about to have a good walk. Nice. Fitting that Alex Wong subbed in for me during Matt Thomas week. <laughs> yes, uh... It's only a shame that it didn't happen after Tuesday night's game when he uh, really would have been on one. But uh, yeah, it's uh, the utility of Matt Thomas is not in question. I, don't I think. think the highest utility Matt Thomas moment of the season now hasn't even been a three pointer. It was him like formally giving Drake a formal handshake. <laughs> like everyone is always like dapping up Drake and, and Drake's being, uh, you know, he's being Drake on the sidelines and Matt Thomas comes by and there's a photo of it. And it just looks like Matt Thomas gives him a straight up, like let's start this business meeting handshake. It's uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's exactly what you would want out of a photo uh, involving those two gentlemen. Uh, also Matt Thomas posted on Instagram this week, a photo of himself, like one of those pregame walking in outfit pics, but it still had the Getty watermark on it. Like Matt Thomas <laughs> yeah. is so unassuming. He doesn't even want to ask the Raptors digital team to hook him up with the photo. He just posts it with the Getty watermark. This is some, that's some serious Raptors 905 energy. Look, when you start the year, you start your career with two years overseas. Uh, maybe you, maybe you think this is all you deserve. It's like maybe he still has imposter syndrome or something like that. Like he doesn't really belong. Uh, let's go with that working theory, huh? Yeah, I mean, hey, that's highly relatable, at least if that is the working <laughs> theory. And he's struggling a little bit. He's only shooting 51.5% on threes through his first 27 NBA appearances. So what's his true shooting percentage here? His true shooting percentage is 70.3. Yeah, so well below 99.9. Yes, his uh, the ninety nine point nine was effective field goal percentage oh, on open catch and shoot jumpers. Okay, see this so. is this is getting lost in uh, in history here. It's just you know people run with the ninety nine, and I can't retain all of this information as well as you can. Well, after the handshake, he'll now be known as OVO ninety nine, taking the place of OVO forty, and uh, yeah, bad joke, bad joke. All right. Eric, uh, the Toronto Raptors shown prove proven as frauds Tuesday night. Uh, they lose to the Milwaukee Bucks 108-97. The Bucks come in on the second night of a back-to-back after needing overtime to beat the Washington Wizards the night prior. Chris Middleton plays over 40 minutes for the first time in a regular season game under Mike Budenholzer. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo only plays 25 or 26 minutes because he fouls out, so um, maybe not as much residual fatigue as you normally expect on a back-to-back. And also, still came- also, Brooke Lopez didn't play in that game against Washington, right. I believe. Yeah. Um, so the Bucks. Still, though, on the second night of a back-to-back, whatever the caveats, come into Toronto against a red-hot Raptors team that have won 17 of 18, and they win by 11. It's uh, It was a meeting between the two best teams in the Eastern Conference by record, the two best teams at that point in the NBA by net rating. Um, it's a pretty, the two best defenses in the league, and that's how the game played out. Eric, obviously... You know, the brand of this podcast is to not overreact to one game samples. Was this more or less like, you know, the score can swing five, six, seven points within the same narrative structure of a game. Was this more or less what you expected from the latest Raptors-Bucks meeting? Um, I think 
like after the game, I tweeted you like the offensive performance has to be concerning and it's not like I'd, I'd be panicking or anything, but I think what it did is it rose some, like it, it re re-asked or restated a lot of the questions that we have about the half court offense playing against a defense that plays in that form. You know, like I, it's not the 50, you pointed this out. This is basically what my story was about at the athletic 52 three pointers in and of itself is not a problem. And the way they distributed those looks like you probably don't want Serge Ibaka taking 10, like you'd rather your guards taking that many, but like it was more or less fine, but it was how those shots came about. That was the concern there. Um, that the fact that like both, like I could remember that Pascal Siakam three in the corner as an example of great movement uh, uh, and the Raptors offense working well. And then Nick nurse citing that post game as a play that looked great. Like, I'm not trying to say I'm smart here, but like there were so few examples of the offense doing what they want it to do that that's what's concerning. And generally, yeah. So the answer is yes. Like the Raptors biggest issue was exploited by the best defensive team in the league in a way you would expect, but the Raptors are going to have to find a way uh, to at least get their feet into the paint a little bit more and, and get the defense moving. And that, that was the biggest concern to me. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's uh you know, that's the box score line tells you some of what happened, but those 52 threes could have been really healthy open threes with a, a good portion from the corners. Instead, you know, those are 52 threes and almost all of them are coming above the break. Um, it was a 100th percentile game in terms of above the break three point shooting frequency. Um, so they weren't, you know, they weren't the looks that you want to get. They weren't the looks against a scramble defense. Basically, they weren't the looks that the Raptors defense was conceding at the other end. Not that Milwaukee got a particularly healthy diet of threes. Um, again, the Raptors defense was very effective here, but you want to see. You want to see the Raptors get in the paint a little bit more to create this stuff. And I know there were, as usual, people complaining about the the free throw gap between the two teams. But not only is Milwaukee an extremely good team at defending the paint without fouling, which they've been for years and we talked about all through the Eastern Conference Finals last year, you can't get fouls when you take, you're like, you're not going to draw a lot of free throws when you take 52 threes and barely get into the paint and take off, what, what was it? A fourteenth percentile frequency of shots at the rim per cleaning the glass. Like you can't, you can't not go anywhere near the paint and expect to get a ton of free throws. Yeah, um, I, I think like the Raptors' defense allowed the shots. It more or less that they want to allow. The Bucks' defense allowed the shots that they want to allow, and there's these are the two best defenses in the league. So that's good. And the shots that the Bucks allow are slightly t- more difficult than the Raptors. <laughs> like, I don't know how much more complicated it is than that. Uh, while saying that, you know, if they hit a few more, you know, threes on high screen and roll uh, with like Fred Van Vliet or Kyle Lowry shooting uh, while the center drops back, then the Raptors maybe win. And like, obviously, Marcus Gasol changes things with his passing and you know you don't have to rely so much on Serge Ibaka if he's having the night that he's having that changes things 
there are so many caveats in one regular season game, but the way in which this played out suggested like was pretty true to form of what these teams may look like against elite defensive competition. And that's the concern. Yeah. And in a seven game series, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be tough to ride those variant swings because this is, these are two top six teams in terms of three point volume offensively and top three teams in terms of opponent three point volume. Uh, So we know that threes are by nature, pretty high variance. And we know that, you know, while there are good threes and bad threes and threes the defense wants you to take and doesn't want you to take, there's still going to be a lot of variance kind of kind of baked in there. Um, so again, we get back to the process side where the Raptors can do themselves a lot of favors by at least getting into the paint to start to create these things. Milwaukee now for two years in a row has been the league's stingiest team in terms of letting teams shoot at the rim and the percentage they shoot when they get there. It's not really realistic to look at the 52 threes and be like, well, the Raptors should have taken more shots in the paint or more shots at the rim. A lot of those probably would have got swatted away or, or they just wouldn't be there. But you still need to attempt that to kind of keep the defense honest and get them scrambling to improve the quality of those threes. Milwaukee, uh, quite obviously the league's best defense overall and the league's best half-court defense. The Raptors averaged only 0.77 points per half-court possession this one per cleaning the glass. That's an eighth percentile performance. Um, even considering who the Bucks are. This was a, a little shaky on that end. Eric, do you have, I, I want to talk about a couple of our specific takeaways, but is there anything, you know, anything more from the process side on offense? And, and I guess, is it fair to say that offense coming out of this one, I mean, the Raptors allowed 104 points per hundred possessions, which is a really good rate against a team like Milwaukee. Uh, most of my concern fell on the offensive end. Is that the same for you as well? Yeah, for sure. And I, I think we'll probably talk a bit about transition too. Uh, but I, I think there's a lot of, I mean, Ibaka drew a lot of heat because of the line he had, but also like Pascal Siakam, even though his stat line ends up looking okay, I believe he went five for nine or something from threes, four for mm-hmm. nine, something. Um, but this all, all of this stuff, like get your feet in the paint and get the defense moving is stuff they need to do, but it also falls under the, you know, the easier said than done heading. Like, like it's, uh, you see Siakam trying to face up Giannis Antetokounmpo and just every possible lane is cut off. Like the guy is so long and so big. And you know, like even if you get a half step on him somehow that Brooke Lopez is going to be there to help. That doesn't mean you can't, you have to, you should just not do it and not try. Of course they have to try. And of course they have to be a bit more assertive in, in that manner. But it's so difficult. This is this is the best regular season team in the league, maybe the best team in the league, period. We'll see how that plays out later. And there's a reason why they have been by far, statistically, the best team. Like, they, this is what they do, even against very good teams. So uh, respect to them. And, you know, the Raptors will have two more times during the regular season to work on it. And if both teams get to where they think they can go... Uh, those games should serve them well. But, you know, the Bucs, barring some huge surprise, will enter that series as a favorite, as they did last year. And it's well-deserved because they're putting together a pretty, pretty special regular season and are awfully tough to, uh, off to, awfully tough to beat. Some may suggest, analytically, one of the best regular seasons of all time. I think that's... 
you know, almost inarguably true. Yeah, you beat everyone up by double-digit points every game. And yeah, you have one of the easiest strengths of schedule, but that's because you don't have to play the Milwaukee Bucks if you're the Milwaukee Bucks. No, that, that helps. A couple meetings, couple meetings left with the Raptors. And I think, you know, the fact that there are two more regular season games here is fun and interesting. One of the things I wrote about last night at TheAthletic.com is, you know, one of my notes and the takeaways was that it definitely felt like there's more to come in terms of what these coaches have to offer. Nick Nurse mentioned before the game that there was some funkier stuff that he was hoping to try out and then said after the game that, well, the Bucks didn't do what he expected them to do, so he didn't get to try his his uh, new interesting stuff. The Raptors obviously also didn't have Marcus Gasol and Lauren Powell. Milwaukee didn't have Kyle Korver. So I think there's a lot more learning still to come in those two regular season matchups in early April on top of just things like how does Pascal Siakam improve his approach and such. Um, I guess my question for you, Eric, because this is something you wrote about last night. When it comes to Nick Nurse and Mike Budenholzer, Nick Nurse has kind of crafted out this reputation and coach of the year candidacy based on how willing he is to try new things and vary the approach and throw different zones out or throw different trapping schemes at, a, at an opponent's top player, whereas Budenholzer's coaching is more defined by its steadiness and its steadfastness that it won't change. And we saw in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, you know, they didn't really ever bend to putting Giannis on Kawhi Leonard full-time or changing their changing their scheme at all, really. And it was a criticism of Budenholzer going back to his Hawks days that this is the system and this is how we're going to operate. And we're going to bet, you know, especially with Milwaukee, with the talent level that they have, they're going to bet that their way will win four times out of seven. And that seems like, you know, against most teams, a pretty good bet. Um, they also have the size to kind of, as you pointed out, dictate the terms of the game. I guess what, I, what I'm curious for your take on after writing that is these last two regular season meetings in April, could you see a scenario where Nick Nurse is trying new things and wants to get different get get a look at different things and different approaches whereas Budenholzer just doesn't budge and doesn't give them the information because he just sticks to well we're the bucks and we're gigantic and this is how we play and that's all you get well we had a brief conversation after the game once Nick Nurse said that that he didn't see a, a Milwaukee lineup he expected and that sort of didn't allow him to do his you know magical crazy thinking and and you know trickery whatever you want to call it and I'm not sure what that lineup was. You, I mean, maybe it was Milwaukee going bigger along the perimeter, trying to get one of Kyle Lowry or Fred Van Vliet off the floor. Although I really don't think there's anybody on. It's hard for me to imagine anybody like scary enough that is going to do that to the Raptors on the Bucks. Like I, I just. I think they trust Lowry and Van Vliet with, and right now without Powell, don't necessarily have the options that it'd be hard for them to run the either one of those guys off the floor. Um, so I'm not quite sure what Nurse was alluding to, but that's exactly how I see it playing out. Like, you know, and the the test for Budenholzer will be if his team is back on its heels and any series at any moment, if they're down 3-2 or 2-1 and something is being exploited, how does he react to that? Because it's, you know, if you stay the course and it works, like you're a genius for trusting your team and not overreacting to the situation. And if you do the same and it doesn't work, you're stubborn and inflexible, right? So, uh, but this has been, as you said, Budenholzer's history. He 
is known for not adjusting and he has the best team in the league so why would he adjust now i don't see your i don't think you're going to see any adjustments in the regular season but nurse is definitely going to continue to you know throw everything out there he can that makes a bit of sense like we'll see how close the the race uh it's looking like it will be raptors celtics battling for two and three given the last you know five seven games that the miami heat have had uh if that race is close we'll see how willing nick nurse is to you know try some funky things versus going all out to win a game um i suspect it won't stop him a ton from experimenting uh but yeah, he's going to he's going to do some different things just to get a bit of an idea of what it would look like against the Bucks and against what you figure the Bucks will do for most of a series. Uh and it should be further it should be fun to watch. Just like last night was fun to watch even though it was sort of a game where really outside of Chris Middleton nobody had an offensive rhythm. Chris Middleton. Oh boy. Uh, two good nights in a row for Chris Middleton. He was, yeah, uh, he was great good. with Giannis out against the uh, mm-hmm. against the Wizards. He's pretty good, that Chris Middleton. It's weird. Um, I saw I saw someone, t- two members of, I think, Raptors Twitter talking about this last night, too. And it's like, Chris Middleton was so underrated for so long that the conversation about him being underrated went too far the other way. And he was then, like, not overrated, but, like, was getting called underrated despite being very properly rated. And then yeah, he this... got the big contract extension and then had, you know, not the best playoff run. And now it seems like he's almost back to being a little bit underrated, at least by Raptors fans, because he's the source of, you know, for years now, he's the source of uh, of jokes, first with the DeMar comparisons in the 52-point game, and now having not had the uh, the sharpest series against the Raptors in the conference finals last year. He's uh, he's a pretty good number two to have. Yeah, I, I like the whole underrated-overrated conversation is obviously fairly inane. Um, but you know, a lot of fairly inane conversation makes its way to the forefront over a six month season. But I, I sort of remember it happening with David West too. I don't remember how contracts were involved, but he was a guy who was underrated and then everyone was talking about how he was underrated. So therefore he was overrated and it just gets so mangled. And that's why talking about like intangible things and, and, you know, broad concepts is, is so infuriating because, there's, you know, unless you're counting, like, you're, like, doing SEO searches to see how often how often somebody appears in a headline, and that's your judge of how properly rated a guy is. How do we know how a guy is rated? I, I, we're off on a tangent now, I know. But Chris Middleton is good. Uh, I know there are some Raptors fans who are like, well, if that guy's taking uh, your last shot, you're in trouble. But, like... Uh, maybe he might miss just like everybody else. And no, he's not a superstar on the level of, you know, uh, some of the other top teams in the league have in terms of superstar pairings, but he's damned good. He's got, you know, one of the, he can get his, because of his length, he can get his jumper off from almost anywhere. And, uh, you know, he's a, a, maybe not perfectly ideal, but pretty close to ideal for a running mate to go along with. Giannis Antetokounmpo, he's good, uh, and he's not infallible, but he he deserves the respect he gets. Also having by far his best statistical season in terms of volume and efficiency. Uh, another underrated part of the Bucks, maybe? Uh, that Marvin Williams buyout edition looks pretty nice. 
Yeah, I thought I thought the the Raptors like the Raptors played as Nick Nurse said like a great first 20 22 minutes of the game and then I don't know if Serge Ibaka was gassed or just frustrated with himself, but he just didn't close out to what I believe was a Marvin Williams open three in the corner. Uh, And it doesn't like maybe he hits it anyway if he jumps as opposed to just sort of walks out to him. But Marvin Williams hits that shot and the Bucs end on an 11-1 run, I believe, to end the quarter and they go from there. Uh, that's not to hammer surge, but it just gives them another physical, versatile defender, which, you know, uh, it's good to be rich. <laughs> so that, that's nice for them. Uh, and a guy who could hit shots, because, uh, you know, Wes, Wes Matthews isn't impressing every night. I, I could see a scenario in which he's sort of played out of the the rotation, possibly, uh, as the series goes on. But that's the beauty of having so many players like this is you really only need one of them going at a time and you're going to be good. Like between Middleton, Lopez and Giannis, you've got three fifths of your closing lineup worked out. And and then you just need one of the guards and one of your swingmen, or you can go with both of the guards if you want. They're, they've got a bunch of really good players. And the thing is with Giannis you only have to be good at, you know, two or three things. You don't need to be, uh, <laughs> you don't need to have no weaknesses in your game. You just, you need to be solid in a few areas and that raises your level so much because he is even on a bad shooting night. And I thought OG Ananobi and, and the Raptors in general did a pretty damn good job on him. He, you know, alters the game so much just with his presence. Speaking of Wesley Matthews, our counterpart at the Athletic Milwaukee, Eric Name, had a really nice piece on him uh, earlier this week called Meet the Women and Young Lady Who Made Wesley Matthews the Player and the Man He Is Today. Um, if you are at all interested in Wesley Matthews, the Bucks, or just really good stories, you should go check that out. Before we move on, I want to take a moment to tell you more about the great things going on at The Athletic. The Athletic is home to 400 of the best sports writers out there, covering every major team in every major league in the U.S., Canada, and the UK, Eric Name, chief among those guys. Uh, we have what I feel is a, a very strong NBA staff. It's always something that's exciting when a team comes to town or I go to visit to get to talk to and and sometimes work with our writers on every other beat. And it expands beyond basketball too. Perhaps you are also a Leaf fan and want to wade through the disaster of Jake Muzzin being out for four weeks because, as Eric Kareen joked on Twitter, the Leafs took play more like the Raptors a little too literally and started breaking hands and fingers. Uh, you can do that as well. We've got a crack leaf team. Uh, the Blue Jays season is picking up now. We've got Caitlin McGrath and Andrew Stoughton and John Lott covering all the Vlad and big Nate Pearson, uh, AKA the death rider <laughs> stuff coming out of spring training. Um, simply put, we have one of the best sports newsrooms on the planet, but you don't have to take my word for it. You can see for yourself by signing up for a free trial, head to the athletic.com slash we, the six, that's the number six. We the six to save 40% on an annual subscription that works out to only $3 a month for total access to some of the best sports coverage in the world. What are you waiting for? Theathletic.com slash we the six to save 40% on a subscription today. And on top of all those other great people, you get to read me and Eric. Let's go Jays. Let's do it. Yeah, man. Jake Muzzin, though, that's uh, (laughs) a, if you had any optimism after that first game out of the trade deadline, yikes. Oh my like this they're playing like the former Marlies 
defense plus Tyler Berry, who was basically on the trade block because he's been so, I, I don't want to say bad, but unreliable. You can say- I don't know. I don't even know if he's been bad, though. Like my, as everybody points out to me when I tweet about hockey, I like my hockey knowledge is not what our great hockey staff is. So obviously he hasn't been a fit for the Leafs. And now he's like the most experienced defender uh, on yeah on that back line, and you've got Callie Rosen coming uh, <laughs> coming up, who they just reacquired for the you know Michael Hutchison, bless his soul, and will be like, the eleventh defenseman they use this year. Yeah, uh, all I'm saying is hopefully things go better for the health of the Jays. Uh, pitching staff than the Leafs blue line. Uh, and yeah, let me just get this out there because I do make fun of the Leafs a lot because they are a very easy target this season. Like because they are the Philadelphia 76ers the, yes, of the NHL. They, they, that's it. Like you made that point. I made, I'm sorry for stealing your joke. I did not see it. Um, it's fine. You're the lead writer. That's part yeah, of the contract. Yeah. You can I, steal my good jokes. <laughs> um, they're, I, I want them to do well guys. So, don't take this so personally, even though I probably would in the reverse situation. It's just, this team is insane. Like, how do you make sense of this team? Another reason you, like, this is a reason you should sign up to The Athletic because very good writers like James Myrtle and Jonas Siegel and Dom Luce-Chishin um, and, you know, and Joshua Cloakey, like, they do their best they do their best to make sense of this team and it's a really tough job because that they drive me nuts yeah um yeah i'm a little more confident in you know my my leafs analysis than you are in yours but i i also got those i have those mika blake mccurdy uh blue and red pools to judge guys by or, or dom's stats so once once dom fixed his aging curve the the jake muzzin uh extension i was much much happier with <laughs> This is the thing about dabbling dabbling into another sport. You don't have to know it as well. You just need to Who know to trust. Which, which writers and analysts to trust. And just cure, and, and you're not ripping it off. You're curating yeah, your I, analysis. That's very the, good. Yeah, uh, I feel like more it. comfortable with baseball. Like I think my knowledge is a bit better, and I'm just more a bit more dialed in. So I, I would know who to go to, and like also the the data there is so much more accessible and buddy you're talking to a former fan graphs right i know i know yeah uh with hockey i'm less sure and i just i know what i see out there um because i watch the games with my eyes and uh god damn are they unpredictable and infuriating and like also you can't look away from them yeah well, also because they they're an entertaining team as as much as anyway. We should stop talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs for in the middle. Of I don't know. Let's uh, let's podcast. do a, let's do a little experiment. See how it does. <laughs> I have pitched that experiment in the past on the written yeah. side, and it is uh, it got shot down. Yeah, we like as like WWE with SmackDown or Raw. We'll break it into like fifteen minute segments and see where the ratings dip. Although I think I don't think podcast ratings tend to go up once they've dipped. I don't. No, think, once, I don't think that once someone's off, they're off. Yeah, yeah. I don't uh, think this is gonna work. Yeah. Okay. Oh boy. And if you if you think this Leafs this four minutes of Leafs chat has alienated you, we're coming up on WrestleMania season. We're really gonna oh baby, really gonna push the boundaries. Um, yeah. All right, back to the Raptors game. 
Uh, I think the one thing that people probably want to talk about on the offensive side in terms of specifics beyond the three-point mix is Pascal Siakam. Um, I wouldn't say he had a bad game overall because he knocked down some threes. He finished with 22 points on, I think, 21 used possessions, which in that game environment is actually fairly efficient. I think the bigger concern that people may have is that and, and this should be understandable because this is his first year in the A1 role and he's, you know, only about 47 games into that role. There have been times where late in games or against elite defenses, his game maybe doesn't look as sharp uh, mo- or more importantly, it maybe doesn't look as aggressive. His numbers are a little worse against the top 10 teams in the league, which you'd expect because they're the top 10 teams for a reason. Um, there is still appears to be a little bit of passivity against the teams that can load up in the paint. Uh, I don't think... You know, I don't think there's a ton like like Siakam's crunch time usage and efficiency are still pretty good. Um, it's more so from, again, going back to a process perspective, I would maybe like to see him pushing a little bit more, not with the intention of, you know, forcing it at the rim necessarily, but to our earlier point, trying to get into a defense and make the defense react to him so he can then help make things easier for teammates. He's He only had three assists last night, which again is fine. His assists are trending upward on the year he's averaging 3.4 which is up a little bit from last year Uh, maybe not as much of a jump percentage wise that you'd hope to see with this kind of usage but I think that's the next step for a guy like this is you've been launched into this much higher usage much more ball dominant role and now you have to figure out against the best teams or late in games you know how much do you push And how much do you push as a scorer? And how much do you push because you're trying to use that attention to create for others? And I think it's natural that at this point in the season, Siakam's still figuring that out. Um, Would you agree with that assessment, Eric? And then I guess, what would you want to see him do differently the next two times he's matched up with Antetokounmpo and Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton and all this length? You know, exactly the kind of defenders that have, not that anyone's consistently given Siakam trouble, but the, the type of defender he has struggled with more than others. Uh, apparently my cat has a lot to say about this so uh let's ask let's ask nico um i don't know if you can hear her meowing in the background I can. but it's it's highly entertaining uh she's become addicted to this hairball tuna tasting stuff and it's a problem um like i alluded to before like I, it's people were critical of siakam last night and i get it like the ball really didn't touch his hands enough or he or when it did he didn't do quite enough with it late in the game and again going back to that three that he hit in the corner i i believe that started with his own aggression um yeah i believe he relocated yeah yeah got it off yeah so you want to see more of that you want to just see him like a point guard would like you know like kyle lowry or fred van vliet might Nash under under the basket. Not that like he's not as low to the ground and as good of a ball handler as they are. So that's not really an option. But they're they're probing and they're they're looking for ways to puncture the defense. So uh, I mean, this is going to come with time, and it might come with another summer uh, where he gets even more comfortable handling the ball. But it can't just be give the ball to Pascal like space out and give him a and Giannis Antetokounmpo is going to give him a bit of a runway and let him do that because Giannis is going to win most of those battles like that's not a it's not a win it's not a winning formula to say let's go one-on-one here and Pascal's going to try to you know beat Giannis to the backboard like maybe he can 
get to a point where like a pump fake gets Giannis off balance and he gets a, a layup uh, or or an easier angle at a hook shot or something like that. I, I didn't see a ton of, I mean, there just wasn't a lot of, of Pascal Siakam op- operating from the post, as you would expect, because of the size and length of the defenders. Like there weren't those mismatches. And, and that's another thing I'd like to point out about that game is like, the pace was 103 possessions, which is a bit slower than Milwaukee's average pace. I think about right on line with the Raptors. And it really didn't feel like that, right? Like, I guess there were a lot of quick threes in early and half-court possessions, but there was not much in transition. And I think that hurt Siakam's game. Um, and it hurt the Raptors' game overall. Like, there was there was one rebound that uh, Brooke Lopez did not have a chance at. And he just punched it out of bounds to make sure there wasn't uh, <laughs> there wasn't a, a transition opportunity. And that's something we saw, I mean, not that literally, but teams know how good the Raptors are in transition. They know that the relative weakness is half-court offense, especially against a defense as good as Milwaukee's. So they're going to go to extreme extremes to limit those opportunities. And that affects the whole team, but it affects Siakam even more disproportionately to the rest of his team. Uh, I would like to see Siakam get involved in, in more screen and rolls. I'd, I'd like to see him, you know, attacking laterally, not just like right at the basket, but maybe he gets it in the corner and can attack from that angle. So he can either go to like the top of the paint or go baseline. Um, so, so that's a bit more of what I would like to see. And I, I know sort of Lowry Siakam pick and rolls, one way or the other, like Lowry can be a perfectly functional screen setter. We know that uh, it's <laughs> something that that people have been calling for, and I wouldn't mind seeing more of. Like I also, you know, what's wrong with a Siakam Ibaka pick and roll? Like last night, there might have been something wrong with it because Ibaka was having his worst shooting night of the year. But in general, that's I'd like to see him. The, I guess the ball handler in in the screen and roll a bit more, but. I really do empathize him, empathize with him in a game like that because I think all of the criticisms, uh, first of all, he'll get better at it with time in this role, but all this stuff you can yell and scream about, and it's so much more easier said than done. Uh, so I think yeah, you have to keep and if that he in had, mind. If, if he had forced it and tried to take a bunch of shots in the paint and down the stretch, you know, went one of four at the rim or something like that, he would have been criticized for that too. So it is tough. I, I agree with you on using Siakam more as a as a ball handler in the pick and roll. I think it's just you know whether depending no matter what you get out of it, it's just a more dynamic look to throw at a team and in Nurse's spirit of always changing things up, it, it gives Giannis a different way to defend and he has to navigate going over or going under. Um, you know Siakam has shown he can hit that pull up. Uh, and I think you know Lowry and Van Vliet as screeners they give you that little bit of a flare threat that. You know, maybe the Bucks question just how deep they drop back and things like that. Um, you know, there's no perfect answer against this team. Yeah. The, the defense is exceptionally good. There are no soft spots. Even if you do run a Siakam, Lowry or Siakam Van Vliet pick and roll and, and get a switch to get an advantage, it's not like the Bucks have any tiny guards that are giving up a ton, a ton, and, and then they're going to send help in the form of Brooke Lopez anyway. So, um, yeah, something to navigate. And I think, you know, this is probably one if you, if you told me right now that, Siakam was going to play in the the two April games, and then these teams were going to play five or six or seven more in May. 
I would guess that this is something where it's a conversation throughout the course of those meetings where there are some games where it looks like Siakam's figuring it out and there are other games where either Giannis is just too enveloping or Brook Lopez is too effective as a rim protector and he has to go back to, to figuring things out and there's that there's that push-pull a little bit because, uh, I mean, look, it's not as if a player of the stature of Giannis, who who should probably win his second consecutive MVP this year, it's not as if he doesn't have to adjust to what defenses are doing either, right? It's like the Raptors, you know, he's got that, he's added that in-between game. He's added that nifty little Dirk fade. Um, he had 19 points last night because the Raptors turned him into more of a playmaker. And he is a significantly better playmaker than Siakam at this point. Um so those are the those are the steps that you have to see Siakam work through where, you know, he's ahead of Antetokounmpo in terms of adding a, an effective high volume three point shot. But now he's got to figure out the in-between stuff and he's got to figure out, you know, similar to how we talked about in years past with DeRozan and then Kawhi Leonard, you know, Siakam's getting there in terms of reacting to the defense. And now it's starting to figure out, you know, with the knowledge of, hey, the defenses are going to be looking for me, A1. How do I not only react to that, but, you know, anticipate what they're going to do and, and kind of manipulate that? Um, so that's part of his growth. It's really it's really other- tough to do in real time, like uh, and especially. It uh, uh, and it's not yeah, linear. Yeah, uh, I I wasn't as concerned with his night as some louder voices tended to be. I'm not I'm not subtweeting anybody I, like just it, it seemed like there was a lot of anger uh, online, so I guess this is a subtweet. I, I should say subtweeting anybody specifically. Um, I, I just no, I only like, I sort of expected it's, it. Like it's yeah. it's it's difficult. <laughs> it's one of the biggest storylines of the season. Is how yeah. does Pascal Siakam grow and learn in this? It it makes sense that we talk about it every second or third podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So we're checking in on uh, the other offensive thing that stood out in this one before we move off of the Bucks. Matt Thomas came in and changed the game in a hurry. He hit, uh, picked up two quick fouls, but then banged two threes really quickly, hit a third three after a Bucks timeout, and that kind of gravity opened it up for him to thread a beautiful pass to Chris Boucher for a dunk. All told, Thomas played 12 minutes, scored nine points, had two assists, and was a plus 12. He has played meaningful minutes in three of the last six games, and he has totaled 41 points over 49 minutes in those. Obviously, that's a, a little you know, over his head. I don't think you can write him in for that. But I am curious as to where you are on is Matt Thomas's three-point shooting and is the spacing he provides strong and valuable enough that you could see Nick Nurse trusting him in something beyond like the Jody Meeks role in a playoff series? It's just hard assuming full health to to carve out the role, right? Well, I'm just never like, going to assume full health. That's fair, in which case... This team is clearly cursed. Yeah, in which case, yes, I do think he's on his way to showing enough to where he could be playing 12 minutes in a playoff game uh, or 15 minutes in a playoff game. But, like, if Davis and Powell are both healthy, they're both ahead of him because they do more. <laughs> like I, I don't know what I don't know what to say. Like they're not quite the shooters that he is, although Powell was flirting with it for a while. Uh, but like they're more capable defenders. They're certainly more explosive with the ball, and and they're more dynamic as finishers in transition. Although obviously Matt Thomas gives you that trailing option as as a shooter. Uh, this isn't <laughs> like I thought Thomas should have played more last night. I think if Nick Nurse goes back like he would probably like an opportunity to 
Like maybe you cut down Van Vliet's minutes a little bit. Lowry was at 41 and I, I don't like that's obviously on the high end, but I'm not sure you'd want to play him any less in a game like that. Um, and, you know, you, maybe you figure out a way to go smaller in, in the backcourt and have Thomas as your nominal three or whatever. Uh, which he already kind of was because he was on the floor, I think, exclusively or almost exclusively with Lowry and Terrence Davis. So uh, it's just hard to, like, I don't know what to say. It's hard to to get the minutes out there. I, I think he's doing enough that if the Raptors are in a bad way offensively, that Nurse will not hesitate to to use him when the opportunity presents. Yeah, he's really good. Especially if he's a plus 39.1 net rating. In 12 yeah, minutes. I don't know if he'll be that all the time, but I do. he is. I do. I know he, he will be. He's a plus 3.7 net rating on the year, which, you know, is lower among the regulars. But as far as a, a one end of the floor only specialist, it's notable. Um, By the way, like, not that we need to extol the virtues of Terrence Davis anymore, but I thought he was pretty amazing last night. Um, in the second half, at least. Even in the first half, when he went 0 for 5, like, I thought the process was pretty good, and he missed some shots, which happens, but, like, even he, like, he missed a floater, and it was, like, nice to sh- to see after, like, driving, and, like, it was a hard shot. I'm not saying the Raptors have to, like, get more of those shots, but it was nice to see, like, it varied up the looks that they were getting, and... He was he was one of the guys who I thought was trying to attack when the opportunity presented itself. And maybe on a night when the Raptors didn't do that enough as a team, uh, I thought the way he played, uh, regardless of the numbers, although the numbers certainly helped, was was a good reminder that you don't have to always take what the Bucks are giving you. Saying that, he wasn't playing against many lineups with both Lo- Brooke Lopez and Giannis out there. I also don't know that we're at a place yet where he should be saying, you, he can't guard me into the TV camera. No, he should. He should. I'm yes. here for it, though. We, we are in I, a look, place. <laughs> I've, I've mentioned before that, I don't know if it's been on here or somewhere else, but like basically, I think not having a conscience is a really important trait for some players to have and I think that you know like we we talk about Patrick McCaw versus Terrence Davis a lot and I think if McCaw had a little more Davis to him attitude wise you know maybe that maybe that helps his offense play up it doesn't work for every player there are some players for whom this level of aggression and this level of I can take a shot and I'm not worried about it at all would be harmful Terrence Davis it fits perfectly and Chris Boucher has some of that too where like at one point last night at one point last night, Tim Bontemps of ESPN leaned over it, and we were kind of cackling at how good Boucher had been. And he was like, you know, Boucher needs to chill a little bit sometimes. And I was like, he can't. Like, Boucher is defined by the complete absence of chill. And that's how he ends up dunking on or around Giannis and blocking Giannis on a roll to the rim and, and things like that. And I, I like that all of the Raptors chaos agents have that kind of, well, you know what? The, the old Blue Jays, I won't say it, but... The Donaldson thing from the sideline. The Raptors have that to them a little bit. And I, I like that. And I think it'll be, you know, I think that's a valuable thing for role players to have when you project ahead to smaller roles in the playoffs where, you know, maybe Davis is only getting seven, eight minutes. Maybe Boucher is only seeing 
change of pace looks. I think those attitudes are, are good to have. Yeah, it's the old like Bill Simmons irrational confidence guy, but screw that. Like they should print up shirts. Boucher and and Davis should just be like the rational confidence brothers or something like that. Like <laughs> that's reasonable. Like, like all, all of this co brand this man. All of this confidence is well earned and deserved. And if you the problem's with you if you can't see that. Yeah. If you can't appreciate all of this, that's on you. <laughs> All right, man. Let's uh let's look ahead a little bit here. With the loss, the Raptors are now only one and a half games up on the Celtics for the two seed. We've talked a ton about just how valuable that's going to be. The schedule turns a little friendlier in terms of quality of competition, but pretty hellacious in terms of travel. The Raptors will host the Charlotte Hornets on Friday. They then take off on a five-game trip to Denver, Phoenix, Golden State, Sacramento, Utah. Only two of those teams have winning records, but... Steph Curry might be back for the Golden State Warriors. The Utah game is on the second night of a back-to-back. And anytime you're playing five games out of time zone on the road over nine days, it's probably going to be pretty tough. Eric, you are off next week. Yeah. So we won't be talking Enjoy to those you. games. Uh, I, I'll be back with someone else. Yeah. But what are you looking for over this next little stretch? And do you think, you know, is this the softer schedule here? Not, I guess not even soft because the travel probably outweighs the travel and the rest probably outweigh the the quality of competition here. What are you looking for these next two weeks while you will be uh, taking a little breather? Um, look, the Raptors have one of the best road records in the league, and this is an area in which, like, I don't even feel fully comfortable, like, questioning their, like, their attention to detail and focus on a night-to-night basis. Like, I think that's almost their defining trait is, is how good they are at that stuff and how well they block out the the inconveniences of the schedule or injuries or whatever. But I think you have to look at the schedule and a trip like this, you always have to look at it and say, is this team showing up every night? Can they withstand that? And like, I mentioned Miami a moment ago, like they have recent losses to Cleveland, to Sacramento, to two other bad teams. I can't recall. And like, that's why all of a sudden the heat are five and a half games behind the Raptors is because like the Raptors don't do that shit for the most part. Like they take care of business and yes, like it, it leaves you wondering about their ceiling, but it also puts them in the very position they're in now, which is, you know, if they should be playing a 2-3 series against Boston, which, you know, you can argue the Celtics, and I think I would argue the Celtics are a bit more talented than the Raptors, but the Raptors are going to have... How dare. But the Raptors are going to have home court, maybe, or at least right now would be favored to have home court. Um, And an easier first-round matchup, potentially, if it finished 2-3, right? Like, I think that's a big fact. If Boston has to grind out Six, seven games yeah. with Indiana. And, you know, and Toronto gets to beat Brooklyn in five. And not that Boston, like Boston, like the Raptors have won whatever, 16 out of 18. And, and Boston's like lost one game on the Raptors over that or something like that. So it's not, it's not as if the Celtics are turtling it or this team or the Sixers or anything who can't, you know, stand good fortune. But on any trip like this, you wonder, if you know you're in the sort of malaise part of the season to use a Dwayne Caseyism 
Um, he never said Malaysi. That's that. That's me. Uh, Malaysi chef. The fat and sassy part um, of the season. Yeah, uh, it's easy to lose focus. You're not, you know, all the all the freaking cliches. Like you're not at, you know, the last two weeks of the season where you start ge- gearing up for the playoffs and the All Star breaks passed and you're sort of in that other world. Can you do that? Can you continue to see the importance of the? of every game and also of the process of improvement. And as well, like Nick Nurse said, Norm Powell might be seeing a doctor within a week. Uh, He will be, I think on on March 1st, it will be up to four weeks um, since he broke his uh, ring finger, I think it was. Um, So that's usually the minimum for a broken finger. So it's fair to wonder, like, when he'll be coming back. It's possible that it will be, you know, sometime later in that trip or, or soon thereafter. And then you wonder about Gasol and, you know, how that, that works. And and in the interim, you really want to see guys like Matt Thomas's role is fascinating to me because he seems to have gained a foothold on, you know, whereas Nick Nurse was rolling with eight in a similar situation um he's now up to nine although uh, pat mccaw could once again kick matt thomas to the curb we'll see how that goes so that's another yeah, thought if he what? stops getting everyone else sick yeah uh did he get anybody else sick there are rumblings that kyle and serge were both very under the weather last night mm. there, there was someone i i can't verify this at all like kyle didn't look kyle didn't look great post game yeah um but someone messaged me and said that they like saw him throwing up but hmm. I don't know how to verify that. But he didn't look great post game. Um, well, cool. I'm glad. I, little... I, I'm glad I wasn't in that scrum. Um, so you know, it will be interesting to see as the pieces come back how Nick Nurse handles things, which is something we said what on fifteen of these nineteen podcasts we've done this year or whatever it is. I believe there was an article <laughs> I wrote about what the rotation would look like and. Um, you know, what the starting lineup might look like now that they're healthy. And it had about eight minutes of shelf life. <laughs> I don't know. We should just stop writing about health. But yeah, we it should, is like, you know, the thing is, like, it's the things that what's make... What's the other Caseyism? If ifs and buts were candy and nuts? Yeah. Uh, we'd all have a Merry Christmas or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, like, regular seasons can be so monotonous, especially, like, in the Bucks case, where, where you mentioned that Eric name, like... Every time the Bucks lose, it's like, yeah, the team had an the opposition had an unsustainably good shooting night. That's how the Bucks lost. Um, but like those types of seasons can get pretty boring because the story remains the same, and you have to find ways to dig for you know analysis. Whereas the change is so obvious with the Raptors, and it just never stops. <laughs> like the injuries just mean. The change is like you can't draw a lot of huge big picture conclusions because of that change. But from a day to day perspective, like things are things are fluid, baby. <laughs> I can't wait to do my first like my deep dive playoff series preview, and there's just zero useful data. <laughs> the, I can't wait. Yeah, the most lo- the most used likely lineup played uh, six minutes. <laughs> yeah, the most the most common lineup they used against the. Uh, who do they play? Oh, yeah, against the Indiana Pacers. Includes nobody. It's nobody. The Pacers don't have Depot. The, I don't know. It'll be... It's it's a good thing for the team overall, assuming that they're back to relative health around the start of April. 
it'll be for the benefit of everyone in the long run. But it is uh, well, yeah, Nick, a messy day. Nick, anyway. Nick Nurse guaranteed it, didn't he? He said, we're going to be yes. we're going to get back right on time. We'll get back to full health right on time. Yeah, so blame him if they're they're not. All right. We will. Uh, yeah. Eric, you enjoy your time off. We will talk Thanks, to man. you guys. We well, won't do, talk to you, you guys. You, I will talk to you guys. Do you have any? Are, you, are there anything you're really looking forward to on this trip? You'll be there. You should have said that. Yeah, I've never been to Denver as a city or an arena yeah, before. Yeah, I was there for the uh, fir- to- I was there for the first time last year. Uh, B factor in a very long ride from the airport to downtown, but once you're there, it's a, the Illuminati Airport uh, too, right? I think so. It's a very yeah. it's a very nice little walking. Not little, I shouldn't say that. It's a nice walking downtown. Nice. Um, yeah, I have some friends in Phoenix. As well, and then there's like a complete off day in San Francisco. So that you can do some things with that. Yeah. Now it's also the longest non-Vegas trip I've ever done, like for work. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, you're gonna be fine. You're gonna be you're gonna be fine. It's gonna be good. Yeah. Get to knock two more two more arenas off of uh, my list of ones that I've done. Yeah, that's that's big. Counting stats. Yeah. There you go. All right. Um. We will talk to you with someone at Eric's place next week. And then Eric will talk to you uh, during that weird long gap where the Raptors don't play for five days in uh, the second week of March. We should probably start content planning for that. Jeez. (laughs) Yeah, we probably should. I don't uh, don't know what to do with that one. All those days off. I'm going to be coming off a a lengthy road trip, so I might load manage one or two of those days. Yeah. The the Raptors certainly aren't going to practice. So I'll I'll have the analysis to give of somebody who has not seen a game probably in in a week. So we're in a good spot. Where are you going on vacation? Uh, Is that something you're willing to say on the podcast? Yeah, I'm going to the Dominican. It's going to be good. Sweet. Sweet. Sight of uh, controversial FIBA qualifier. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be wearing my Team Canada jersey and just like holding up signs saying we free want connor morgan we want the truth free connor morgan we were robbed uh all that stuff i'm sure the people at a resort will definitely be riled up by that i look forward to hearing your report from that guys we'll talk to you next week and we'll talk to eric in two weeks eric enjoy your vacation man thank you enjoy your trip see ya see ya